Wade decision, and um, this this is just a you know that's been set aside. It's now back to the states. Uh, but this I saw this video as a reminder of the significance of that. You'll need to turn the volume up on the TV. Pardon me. You'll need to turn the volume up on the TV. Turn it up on the TV. Yes. Because it's not wired into the. You're about to hear the sounds of metal BB striking the side of a tin can. <clears throat> For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution, the Civil War, World War One. Korean conflict, the conflict in Vietnam, September 11th and the war on terror. Since 1973, the war on the unborn child. expression and I'll leave it at that. Now I want to shift gears to something that I thought about when I was watching, reading, working on the message for this morning. The, the gratitude of the saved towards the saver here. And there was a story that was went out some time ago. It's about a man, the man who saved 669 children. I don't know if you've ever heard of the story. I'll just read this, and then I want you to watch this little video. In 1939, on the eve of World War II, a young British stockbroker uh, called Nicholas Winton did something truly incredible. He risked his life to successfully save 669 Jewish children from Czechoslovakia during the Jewish Holocaust by ensuring their safe passage to Britain. So he saw where things were going. And he realized, we got to get these kids out of here. And so he started putting things together. Um, he had to work through some legal issues. He wanted to bring them to, to England. And England said, only if, you know, you, of course, you pay the passage. And um, you have to have a home for them to go to. And you have to have some kind of a uh, deposit. So we have to pay the expense of the return after the war. So he had to raise all that and do all this quickly. Hitler's rising. Uh, England said yes. And so as many as, and so they started advertising, getting families 
and they found families for these 669 mostly Jewish children. He, they, he wrote to the President of the United States and appealed to, for their help and were turned down. Mm -hmm. They felt they could have probably saved easily another 2,000 children if the United States would say yes. Well, then back to this. The Jewish Holocaust, uh, then, like a real hero, a lot of the, you know, our heroes, they don't even tell you what they did. Uh, he never spoke of it again until 50 years later when his wife found a scrapbook in the attic of their home that contained the names, pictures, and documents of all of the children that he had saved. Now, she, you know, she just did, you know, how you, sometimes they're, who knows what's in your attic? She's like, what's all this? And uh, she started digging through, and, and you know, he was a stockbroker, he's in investments, so I guess he just liked keeping records. So, so um, th that's, uh, that's the background, okay? Any questions or comments on that before we let you watch the, vi the little video? So this, this comes, this is a video from a, in the 1980s, a um, British television program, so they talk kind of funny, but we'll be okay with that. <laughs> Letters. But back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diermatch, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. <laughs> Terribly touching. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? He didn't know this would happen. What's happening? From there, is then the next thing they said is, are any of, of is there anyone here who is a child or grandchild of one of the rescued? That was the rest of the auditorium. Wow. So he came and just thinking he was just going to be in some kind of a program, and he had no idea he was surrounded by the children because he had never talked to any of them. Most of those children had no idea what had happened. They just they they just ended up living in England, staying in England, and. And, and it wasn't until people started contacting them, they started hearing the story of how it was they happened to live. But, but this, in the typically British understated way, could you see the joyful gratitude for one who had saved their lives? He lived to be 107. Wow. Eventually he was knighted by England and honored uh, by Czechoslovakia as well. And it just, they, went, they got as many children as they could possibly get out um, 
uh, before Hitler uh, shut the doors. But but when I thought of that, you know, gratitude for saving a life, I, that's what this this scene reminded me. I think there was you could even find I think on YouTube a full program that kind of traces more of that. He became uh, much, you know, they they honored him eventually later on in England and, and very like I said, knighted and all that. So that, that to me is a good picture of uh, the gratitude of a savior. Well, with that, I think I can, I think I can shut this, no, I think I can shut this, I'll leave this up. Uh, any, so now with that, that kind of fits some things I wanted to say. Let me get my Bible open. Any what were any thoughts, comments, questions from today's uh, study in the Gospel of John, chapter ten, verses eleven to fifteen? I so much appreciated the understanding that the shepherd knows the sheep and loves the sheep, and the sheep recognize him because, and that in First John four nine, I think it is. Yes. Came to mind. I had, didn't remember the reference, but we love him because he first loved us, and that was just such a picture of that. Right. So again, that whole concept you can see with sheep, you know, because they don't love strangers. That's the whole point. They they're nervous around strangers, but they love the shepherd who has loved them, and that's that's part of it. Uh, that's different. Some dogs will love anyone that will walk into the room. Uh, all cats despise everybody, but we won't get into that. <laughs> comments or questions? I like the definition you gave for a no, for a good a good shepherd, noble, yeah, beautiful, yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's uh, he is certainly also morally good, you know, and, and but but that's just not the word that's used there. It, it's the uh, one that. Um, they strike you as good. Now, one illustration, have you ever heard of uh, sometimes maybe more, This was, I think it was a British illustration, they might talk about the good doctor in town, who, and they're not saying necessarily of his medical skills, but he's, he's caring and that sort of thing. And so the good shepherd is recognized for his behavior and his, his manner. Yes. And one thing that stuck out to me um, that you said was how the, the sheep, despite the threats around them, focused their eyes on the shepherd. That was an interesting story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And um, how all those uh, eyes weren't even looking at the, at the wolves. The, the dogs were looking at the threat. <laughs> the sheep were looking at the shepherd. And you can almost hear them saying, should we be worried? <laughs> <laughs> Just basically, okay, it's on you. You're going to take care of us. That's where we need to be in our life. You know, when the struggles come in, just look, keep our eyes on the shepherd. And, and he will guide us and direct us and protect us as needed. Any other thoughts? Oh, there was one thing I, uh, I, I neglected to say. Uh, normally, Shepherds did not, uh, you know, wouldn't die. Uh, it, it apparently rabbinic law, we see it in the Mishnah, the early Jewish writings, early Jewish record of, of oral traditions. Um, it was said if, if, if a shepherd was attacked, you know, had a one animal, like a wolf attack, 
he was responsible to stop it. If it was two, it was considered like an accident. You can't do anything about it. But what's the problem when a shepherd lays down his life? You can't protect anyone. Yeah. Now the flock's in real trouble. And so, so that wasn't common. You know, though it wasn't that it never happened. Remember, I read the, the account of the traveler who said, you know, even recently he heard about a fellow who died trying to fight off some uh, Bedouin uh, thieves. And, that, and that's kind of an interesting story, too, because that shows thieves and robbers were out there. And, and so he tried to fight them off, and, and they killed him. Um, so, so that's, like I said, it's interesting. When you read travelers from the 1800s, um, life is not that different from in the days of Jesus. Um, and so that was, you know, you, you see that thieves, robbers trying to attack the flock. Right when he, he says uh, the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, is that referring to the definite article referring back to those who know him and he knows? Or is that article even there in the original? I'm just going to double check before I speak. That's verse 10 you're looking at, right? Yeah. So I should probably look at verse, I mean, that's verse 11, right? Yeah, for the sheep. Um, I think, you know, once again, I think we have to look in context. And in the context, he's talking about his, his sheep know him. They won't follow anyone else. So I think the context is he's talking about his particular sheep. Now, later on, we'll get into where he's going to say, um, you know, he says, yeah, in verse 14, I know my sheep, they know me. So he's talking about my sheep, but he doesn't, um, to be honest, he says he doesn't say his sheep. It says the sheep, though that can also. And then he says, "I and I and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold." So we'll get to that next time about those other sheep. We we should be grateful for that because there he's talking about the Gentiles. But I think the context is he's talking about um, you know his chosen sheep, the one he has loved before. The um, I, I think he's talking there about. The elect sheep. Yeah. yeah. Reminded me of Queen Elizabeth was the uh, leader of the faith in hmm. uh, uh, the new king over there. He's the defender of faith. You know, a little three-letter word. Yeah. Can, it's like alone. Uh, the faith versus faith. Boy, yeah. uh, to say I'm, I am an ad, I, I or like that, the defender of the faith or defender of faith. Oh, those, that one word makes such a huge difference. Um, so here, I, I don't know how hard you can hit it here, but I think as the context develops, I think the emphasis there is on his chosen sheep, his flock, because are the ones for whom he died. Any other comments on that? Wow. So, you know, when Joseph was in Egypt and, I mean, representing the make of the fact that the Egyptians looked down on the whole sheep shepherding paradigm, right? And I think the world probably looks down on the way Christ shepherds his sheep, too, right? I mean, they would think they have it all figured out in a different way. I mean, that may be a bit of a stretch. You mean, well, for example, in Egypt, we hear that River Judge. Uh, Joseph tells his family, 
um, you know, he tells them, tell them you're shepherds. Because that way they're not going to want you living in town. They're going to want you far away. Is that what you're referring to there? Or? Yeah, that, that's, that was what I was thinking is, you know, okay, the world doesn't doesn't like the whole concept of sheep and shepherding and they're kind of viewed as inferior. I think sometimes as, as believers we're kind of viewed as, well, you just don't understand the God designs. Whereas we have a shepherd that's willing to die for, did die for us. You know, and so, anyways. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a bit of a stretch for together. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, certainly that, that shepherd is dis, you know our shepherd is despised, as are the sheep. Um, you know, I, I was it was in studying for all this. One of the things that comes up is what's the view of shepherds in, in the ancient in this time of the world? The Egyptians um, they they had flocks. They just didn't. You know, it's like sometimes we we have. Uh, industries and all that we like, but just not in my backyard. And so shepherds, you know, they wanted somewhere else. They also looked down at them. A lot of them were foreigners. Uh, in Israel, uh, and of course, the Lord is my shepherd. So they have that side of it. But we also understand, you know, read in the, you know, some of the later rabbinic literature, shepherds tend to not have a good reputation. And, and that certainly is the way Jesus, yes, he's going to be one of these despised shepherds but but he's you know he's talking about shepherding and and who's he talking about when he's c contrasting the good shepherd from the the hirelings and all that I mean you know he's wait I mentioned this morning um, that I think for example to the, the the priests in the temple that they just go through the rituals and um, I remember talking to someone who was a you know Catholic and they they went to this church, and um, the priest they they they, they called him not to his face, uh, Speedy Gonzalez. You know he could get through that service quick, <laughs> and he could just rattle it off and get through the service, and he hardly have a chance to breathe. And you get the sense of you know is he really thinking about what he's doing? Does it mean anything to him? Um, kind of Luther. Pardon me. Isn't that kind of what Luther encountered when he went to Rome? Oh, yes, yes. All these people that Luther encountered in Rome that just like, and remember when Luther did the, you know, went through the motions, I mean, it was just, he thought about the words and he came undone. Who am I to speak the words that turns this bread into the body of Christ? It was just, it was too much. But that was his problem. He was thinking about what he was saying and doing. The hireling, he's just, he's just going through the motions. Um, and I, certainly I wouldn't want to name names uh, here, but, you know, can we see that? What, what, uh, what, what would that look like? What does that look like in our day? Who are the, the hirelings? Uh, who are the um, thieves and robbers? You know, because, you know, in the context, I think it's correct to, to point to the Jewish leaders. Again, not all were that way, but... Unfortunately, the, you know that was how the system had become. But bringing it forward to our day, what kind of examples will we find of hirelings or thieves and robbers that Jesus was talking about? Robbers. <laughs> okay, so getting it into the getting it into the political realm. There's a good example. Those are leaders, and some of them are just going through the motions, aren't they? They just kind of um, they go along with whatever the party is saying or whatever, but they, you don't get the sense that they genuinely are looking out for the well-being of their flock. 
and sometimes they're fleecing the flock. Um, well, there's a, yeah, I think there was a study that, you know, who, who does the giving, right? And it's hmm. usually people on the conservative end of the spectrum that are doing all the giving, and if, if they question one of these guys on the other end, he says, well, I, I do my giving in Congress. With your money, basically. Yeah. Thank <laughs> <laughs> <like>, you. <laughs> people teaching false gospels, prosperity and health, and uh, a lot of TV evangelists that are there for their money. You certainly get that impression, don't you, with some of these TV evangelists. They're they're flying around on private jets. They have multiple mansions, and yet they're talking about how uh, we're going to go broke. We need your contributions. And some of them will even um, will, will know that if they can... You know, you, you get these mailers where they show a poor child in rags on a curb. And, and so, but you know, we have to do research and say, how much of what I send will actually go to the cause? And sometimes there is an incredible integrity and what you give goes to the cause. I mean, we, we all understand, like here at this church, there are expenses to having a building and facilities and such, paying for postage. But... But there are some people, when you look into it, what actually goes to the cause. There was one organization recently, that, a few years back, uh, they, you know, they, they said, we're going to give to bicycles for, for pastors uh, in India. And so uh, that sounds like a great deal. For $100, you can get a, a pastor a bicycle so he can minister in several villages. $100. That's a coffee budget for a week at Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> You know, so you, but you think, okay, I'll do that. Well, then it turned out, they checked out. and that, they, they weren't buying those kind of bicycles. They weren't doing that. It was, going, it was being diverted. And so there was a multi-million dollar um, lawsuit and settlement to, to deal with the issue. So that's, a, that's the heartache, is that there are those that take advantage. And they know how to make the appeals in an emotional way. Um, and, and, and again, some of them, some of them, so some of them are robbers and thieves. And I think, um, I don't want to say everybody who's on television, but if they're on television, put on, the, put on your filters a little more carefully. Um, but then, then there's the hirelings. You know, they're the people that it's, it's, it's just a job. And they, you know, they, when, remember when we started the church, and most of you wouldn't have been here, but, you know, it was kind of a joke now. Um, I said, when we started, I'm not going to just view Terrell Bible Church as a stepping stone. I'll be here for three to five years at least. Well, that was true. <laughs> I've been here for three to five years at least. Um, since we're now 30, we're, you know, we're starting up our 38th year. Um, but, you know, there are those that just see the ministry as a... <clears throat> As a way, as, as a as a way to make money, you know, they don't they don't see it as caring for the sheep, um, and that's that's sad too. You're not a hireling, Greg. <laughs> well, you know, the Lord will be that make the final judge on that. But yeah, I, 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 that's I I work to make it not be so. So, how do you think the people reacting when Jesus was talking about himself as the shepherd who lays down his life? What do you think they understood about that? 
because I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder. You know, maybe if a parent, teacher, have you ever said something and you could tell that thing didn't even register? It just went by. <laughs> and so here he is making clear, isn't he? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I don't think his disciples got that. I don't think the crowd got that. But he is, you know, what Pharisee, what Sadducee died for the sheep? Uh, what rabbi died for the sheep? And that's the whole point. He is not just, he didn't come just to teach, just to do miracles. He came to die. And so he is showing that he is the, the good shepherd. Um, and and, and that, again, that word late to, rather than give, it, you know, it's, it has literally can be used to place. But you just get the impression, you know, you go to the store and you put down your money, you know, kind of thing. He's laying down his life um, for the sheep. Um, and a lot of people might say, why would you die for sheep? Sheep are, you can go buy more sheep. Sheep are just sheep. But, 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 and he says he's doing it because of his love for them. Um, that's what, so, it's, so John chapter 10, uh, John is a very powerful book. And John chapter 10 is powerful. What's really interesting, if you're paying attention, remember this all started back in chapter 9, the healing of the blind man and how they treated them. So this is a lengthy um, section that we're coming up to that we're doing. Um, and let me see. It, this really goes through chapter, through verse 21. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll probably, I'll point this out to you later, but in 22 it says, now it was the Feast of Dedication. So John says, finally, we're moving ahead. You know, the other one was in the Feast of uh, Booths. Now it's going to be the Feast of Dedication. And what's that? Anyone know? Maybe if I helped you, I'm going to teach you the, the Hebrew word for dedication, Chanukah. And so, uh, which is, again, this we'll get there, but I'll, I'll mention it now. But um, Hanukkah is not a biblical feast. You know, of the feasts that are laid out in the Old Testament as law, Hanukkah is not included. It's based on something, it's a remembrance, like Purim from the time of Esther, um, Hanukkah is even after the Old Testament time. It's during the period between the Testaments. But here's interesting. We'll see Jesus you know, in Jerusalem. On the, so it shows you that he celebrated Hanukkah, uh, even though it wasn't a biblical requirement. But, but we'll get there. But all that to say that, so we're going from all of chapter 9 through chapter 10 up to verse 21. Um, and a lot of times it'd be real easy to just skip right over. Now it's the Feast of of dedication, we have to go back and say, where did it begin? It was a different feast. So, um, but that's a lengthy section John's giving us. Um, uh, for, for, and that gives us a clue about his ministry. All of this is building on one healing and all this discussion. So imagine how Jesus throughout the three years was doing things like that. And there'd be all kinds of teaching that went on. You think maybe some of the people resented being called sheep? Uh, um, you wonder, like David, you know, that's, you know, he he looked at his sheep and thought about how he cared for them and said, "Well, I'm like the sheep, and the Lord's like the shepherd." Um, 
for the non-shepherd types, they might have they might have thought differently and said, uh, "Well, that's a nasty <coughs> animal to compare us to. Couldn't he cho- chosen something more noble, like uh, like the vulture, nor <laughs> like being one of the deplorables?" Yes, yeah, <laughs> and that's in a sense what he's saying. Um, you can usually tell when you're getting close to a sheep pen. There's a certain air about it that uh, is un- unmistakable. So how would we today spy the robbers, thieves, and the, and the, the hirelings? What would be the things we would notice or, or to help us um, put up our warning shields? Are they sacrificing to the sheep? Pardon me? Are they sacrificing to the sheep? Are they sacrificing for the sheep? Yeah, okay. So they're, in other words, they're, they're putting aside self-interest for, for, on behalf of the, the other. And where, where a lot of it's it's the other way around, where it's like, you're supposed to do for me. And um, so that would be one of the clues, is what kind of life are they living? They don't use the door. Come in a different way. Yeah, they don't use the door. They come in a different way. Um, I wonder if I can find real quickly in my notes an example that I could have used but didn't today. Um, Give me a moment. I'll, I'll see if I can find this. Uh, Dan Duncan, who's now pastor at um, Believer's Chapel, uh, after uh, he did start up after S. Lewis Johnson, he preached on. Well, as a matter of fact, he's just a few chapters or a few sections ahead of me in, in John, and I've always appreciated his comments. Um, but he he told a story in emphasizing the substitutionary. What's another way of saying uh, a substitutionary atonement or substitutionary? Vicarious. So, you know, a church has a vicar, they're kind of a stand-in for, for Christ. Well, so vicarious atonement. Um, and and uh, let's see. I'll just, I'll read some of his remarks. In 1923, while still a professor at Princeton, Jay Gresham, Gresham Machen uh, wrote a book on uh, Christianity, liberalism versus Christianity. And the whole point is, Liberalism is not Christian. You know, you, you can't. You know, he's not saying liberal Christians. He's saying you're either a liberal or a Christian. And um, and he talked about those who hate the doctrine of the cross. He said he wrote, they quote they this so this is Machen. They speak with disgust of those who believe quote uh, that the blood of our Lord shed in a substitutionary de- death placates an alienated deity and makes possible. Welcome for the returning sinner. So Machen is quoting a preacher of, of the day. And that was what he said. So here's what the, and it was, it was Harry Emerson Fostick. He's famous as, um, I think he's the one who preached kind of the, you know, the one of the battle cries. It was, shall the 
shall the fundamentalists win, I think, was the title of his sermon. And his hope was no. Is that absolutely right? No. Was, was he the one at Union Seminary? And... Um, he was close to Union Seminary. I th I think he, yes, I think he did some teaching there. So here's, here again is the quote from his sermon. Um, those that they, speaking of the of fundamentalists, they, they speak, uh, Machen says, of the liberals, they speak with disgust of those who believe, quote, now here he quotes Fostick, that the blood of our Lord shed in a substitutionary death placates an alienated deity and makes possible welcome for the returning sinner. So he's, he's flat out saying, what a horrible idea that God would think somebody, somebody should, be, should die to pay for sin. What, what an awful idea, he, he says. Um, so here's, here's an interesting connection now that Dan Duncan notices. Some years later, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard of him, heard Fostick preach at the Riverside Church that John D. Rockefeller built for Fostick. So Fostick took a very anti-fundamentalist, I mean, he was like, he was, we're going to go to war with the fundamentalists. Rockefeller liked what he was saying. And so he built him one of the most amazing churches in America, just just so Fostick could have a place appropriate for his great message. Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer came over from Germany to study theology at Union Seminary. And he went, this was real close by, so he went to, you know, go hear the great preacher. That's what you did in those days. He went back to his room that morning and wrote in his diary about the sermon, quote, quite unbearable. He called it idolatrous religion. And then he wrote, perhaps the Anglo-Saxons are really more religious than we are, we Germans in other words, but they are certainly not more Christian, at least if they still have sermons like that. And so, um, so that was his take on it. And then I can't remember now if I have. So later on, he went to another church um, one of those people that Fostick would call a fundamentalist, and, and it just really warmed his heart. And it, it, it you know, thrilled him to hear that kind of preaching. But anyway, so here's, here's the point. He looked at, at Fostick as, I don't know if he'd maybe Hireling would be too light a term. You know, idolatrous religion, that sounds more like a, a robber and a thief. And that's what's it's heartbreaking is, there are a lot of people across this land in different parts of the world. You know, if you're speaking from a pulpit, you must be a good person and you must be speaking the truth. And that's the tragedy is that, that people will go and say, well, I heard a preacher say that. And, and, it, and often it destroys the faith. Well, well, he was a reverend or she was a reverend. It must be okay. Um, and that's, that's the struggle. Um, and so that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, remember earlier, and again, back, going back to John. Let's see if I can get a better view of that. What did he say? When he was talking about the sheep not listening, in chapter 10, verse 5, he said about the sheep, they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. You know what that's telling us is that Jesus is notice, noticing that the genuine believers were not 
following the false teachers and uh, uh, among the rabbis and Sadducees. So, so it, you know, there they were, but they were recognizing that's not the truth. <clears throat> Problem is, I think a lot of them went to synagogue anyway, and so they probably, I wonder if they had conversations on the way home. Daddy, when he said this, when he said uh, the, the rabbi's tradition is just as authoritative as the Old Testament, as, as our Bible, is that true? We'll talk about it when we get home, son. <laughs> no, it's not true. Uh, so, but that tells me there were that was the clue of who the who the chosen were, who the believers were. The, they weren't being caught up in the error of the false teachers. And so, so Jesus is recognizing there is there are a couple of flocks going on here. Uh, the flocks that are being fleeced, and the flocks that will not follow. You know, and, and what's interesting is, so the rabbis looked at those who didn't follow their traditions, and they kind of spoke disparaging of them. They had a label for them called the Alam Ha'aretz, the people of the earth. We like that term, say people of the earth. Oh, he's a good, good guy. They meant it is, these are the sinners. They don't keep the tradition. So there was a, there was, um, a religious divide that Jesus even recognized at that point. You could ask the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? That's the question. And 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 who do you say that I am? And so the and remember the rabbis were saying, if you say Jesus is the Messiah, then you're kicked out of the synagogue. Um but Jesus would say if you say if you deny Jesus is Messiah, then you're kicked out of hell. But that's the question to ask. And, and so people like everybody talks about Jesus today and, and wants to speak well of him. Um, the question we, we have to ask is, who is he? And we have to listen carefully um, to what the answer is. And Mormons would say that, well, we've both been at the cross. We would have touched the same Jesus. But they don't believe the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So they, I, they talk about Jesus, but it's a whole different idea of who he is. So, so, so George is saying the Mormons will say they talk about Jesus, but it, they mean somebody different in a sense. A different, <clears throat> they deny his uh, that he is the eternal. They don't. They, they deny God is eternal. Uh, they said yes, he's a, you know, he was, uh, he's he's glorified to become God, and we can do that too. But some people will say, well, they they talk about the same Jesus. They use the same name. Um, but it's not the same Jesus. And I, one of my, I've got a quote and some notes not here, but uh, on Mormonism, that one of the, the presidents, so that's that's considered like a prophet who speaks for God, says, no, we do not worship the same Jesus as, as you know, the church. And, and because they use the name, but the, what, what this, the one they describe, you know, you might say, uh, do you know Carl? Well, I didn't know Carl, you know. Yeah, he yeah he's a, he's a, he, he sells produce. Carl sells produce. Where does your Carl live? What's he look like? You know, so he start asking questions. We, the name might be the same, but let's start asking questions. And, and so, just because someone says we believe in Jesus, what do you believe? Uh, now, the rabbis wouldn't say we believe in Jesus back then. Um, but today, everybody wants to say they believe in Jesus. And so we, 
Um, we need to be discerning. And it's not hateful to be discerning. It's not hateful to say we have a disagreement. Um, it's, so we need to uh, speak the truth in love. And, and that might be including, well, let's talk about that. This is what Jesus said. Do you agree with Jesus about Jesus? Um, and that would be maybe a helpful conversation. Okay. Yes, sir. Well, uh, in a sense, in the world's eyes, in the world's eyes, it is hateful. Yes. In the world's, in the world's eye, it's hateful to say there's a right and wrong. World's eyes, it's it's hateful to say there's but there, there uh, there's terms like boy and girl that mean something. And so we've seen that thinking has kind of reaching. I don't know if we've reached the end of where that's going, but it's come a long way. Um, but to say that you could that you're either right or wrong, that's 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 considered hate speech. Um, I've already put it in my notes for the prophetic update for next year. Um, and so it's in my notes, and I don't have it too well in my mind, but there's a man who's uh, in another country facing three months in prison because um, he was homosexual, and by the grace of God and, and through the power of the gospel, he has renounced that and has been changed. And for sharing his testimony... He's going to go to jail for three months, I think it is, for hate speech. That's where... Asked him. Pardon me? Because somebody asked him. It was an interview. Oh, it was an interview. It okay. was an interview, so they asked him about yeah. it. And because he answered the question, they're facing jail time. So I think that's where we need to... I think we, we Now, we can be hateful in how we speak the truth. But it's not hateful to speak the truth. Um, and the Bible speaks of you know speaking the truth in love, you know, and and it's so we need to find out, find, continue to guard. Are we expressing the truth in love? Uh, are we showing our compassion towards people as we as we confront them with the truth? You know, you think of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. What did he say? Go and sin no more. I mean, he you've been sinning. Stop it. And, you know, and so that we would have the, the grace to speak the truth and the courage to speak the truth and not waffle when we're, we're confronted with that. And but our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world and even here in America are continue are growingly having difficult consequences for speaking the truth. It is not hate to speak the truth. Again, it's the lovingest thing you can do. Whole concept floating around is if you don't agree with me and you don't acknowledge my way of thinking, then you you say I don't exist, or you. I mean, it's you know you're basically dismissing me. It's like well, that hasn't been the way it has been for forever. Right? People had different views on things, and they they've been able to handle that. It's it's a Strange way of operating. Yes, it, so it's getting to the place if someone said, if you if you say to someone, I don't agree with you, um, I don't believe that you know, I don't believe that you are a fairy. I don't whatever you know, whatever it might be. I don't believe that you are um, Santa Claus. Uh, whatever it might be, 
that's considered, and if that person says that's what they are, then, then somehow that's unloving to deny. Um, and I think we need to know how to lovingly speak the truth. There's a lady in England who has um, been arrested because she stood close to an abortion facility and prayed in her mind. She didn't say anything out loud. She was just quietly, I mean, just silently praying for that. And they arrested her for thought. Oh, my God. The thought police arrested her, and she may go to jail for three months because of that, which, I mean, that's scary. We need to pray for people who are our brothers and sisters who are in places like that, that are facing those kinds of challenges. Um, but may God give us the grace and courage to, again, speak the truth in love and not walk away from it. Um, I think just last week um, I heard a well, when something happens, there's always people there with their phones. Uh, the Mall of America in Minneapolis, guy wearing a Jesus Saves shirt, the security guard tried to throw him out. Oh, my gosh. Because it was, uh, he considered it could be offensive. He wasn't preaching. The only thing was shopping. <laughs> we had the shirt on. So they because because the shirt said Jesus Saves, yeah. that's considered offensive. Which, and Paul talks about the offense of the cross, and he said to the Jew... It's, it's offensive, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentile, it's foolishness. Um, and so yet we preach the truth and it's the Holy Spirit who changes the heart. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, that's a struggle. Um, like in Athens, when Paul preached, they liked hearing new ideas and liked debating. Well, nowadays, no, you know, I guess new ideas are okay as long as, well, I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> as long as you're not saying there's right and wrong. Um, as long as you're not saying there's truth and error, uh, that's that's where our culture currently is. Um, and you can see that's Jesus would run contrary to our culture and the things he said. And so, um, they, you know, that's where we need to faithfully follow him. But I think what they what really set people off at the Mall of America, the other side of the shirt said. You know, Jesus is the only way, and it had the coexist thing crossed out. Like, <laughs> you know, so when you, when you start making exclusive claims, which are true, you know, I mean, that, that's the way to really roll up the, <laughs> the popular thinking, right? Right. It, and that's, that is the challenge, to say there's right and wrong and to say the exclusive claim of Christ. And you should know John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The most loving thing you can do is tell someone the truth. And a classic example of that is that if you've got a terrible illness and the doctor comes in and says, well, I don't want to, I'm going to lie to you. They used to do that medicine, they'd lie. And um, I'd say, you're going to be just fine. And then you die. Uh, I, maybe because they couldn't do anything, but, but to me, the most loving thing you can do is say, let me tell you what's going on. And um, the most loving thing we can do is say, because the nice thing is we do have good news. Because the reality is, I hate to tell you this, you're going to die. That's the bad news. The good news is you can know the Savior. And Jesus says those who believe in him, though they die, will not die. 
uh, you could have eternal life. And so that's, that's, that's a loving thing to do. But it is countercultural. But Jesus was a good teacher. Yeah. Know, apparently his truth didn't well handle anybody else's, so he couldn't be much of a teacher. Yeah, so Jesus. Yeah. are very good. <laughs> yeah, and again, uh, Jesus, if, you know, on more than one occasion, when he went preached in his hometown in Luke chapter 4, they wanted to throw him off the cliff. Uh, in more than one occasion, they picked up stones to throw at him because they understood what he was saying. And so Jesus said, if they reject me and you follow me, they will reject you. So, um, again, that's not grounds to be offensive, except if the offense is the truth, that we, you know, we, we speak that in love. Well, I think um, that's a good place to stop. And um, may God give us grace to be faithful. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ and, and how he spoke the truth, contrary to the culture around him, contrary to the uh, polytheism of the Roman and Greek cultures, contrary to the rabbinic traditions of, of the Pharisees, contrary to the uh, teachings of the Sadducees that denied so much of your word, Jesus spoke truth contrary to the errors of those around him. Lord, may we faithfully follow him. May we, like Jesus, speak the truth in love, in faithfulness, with courage and humility. This isn't our truth, it's your truth. And so, Father, we thank you for your truth. And thank you for opening our eyes to receive it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor. Sir.